0: What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Finance for Physicians podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Wren. Join me as we dig into what it looks like for physicians to begin using their finances as a tool to live better lives. You can learn more about our resources at financeforphysicians.co. Let's jump into today's episode. What's up, everyone? Hope you're having a great day. I'm uh, I'm excited to talk today about uh, topic. It's kind of come up a lot lately in uh, conversations. They've also recently changed some of the rules on uh, how this stuff works. And the topic is how to save for your children's or really anyone's education. So I wanted to talk about, you know, some of the best avenues to do that and talk a little bit about how those work, like the pros and cons of those. And then uh, talk about some of the tax tax benefits associated and uh, ultimately help you start to think about or hone in on what the best way is to accomplish that goal of saving for your children or anyone's really education. So we'll jump into that and get this, get this going. Okay. So we're going to talk about college savings today and really education savings in general probably is a better way of putting that. Um, There's been some uh, tax law changes that have uh, actually improved the tax benefits of saving for education, especially before college so, um, so we'll talk about that as well. So before we get into that, maybe we should maybe a good starting point is like, what are the basic vehicles to use? And I think this is more straightforward. Really, there's only well, there's a few different choices, but like 99% of the time, the best uh, route, if you know you're going to need to save money for education, is a five two nine plan. So. Really, all that is is it's just kind of like a, um, you know, like a tax qualified, tax preferential plan that the IRS created through rules uh, that allows you to save for that given goal in a you know, minimum tax favorable manner. So it's kind of like an IRA is for retirement, or a Roth IRA is for retirement. It's more like a Roth IRA is for retirement, um, especially when you hear the tax benefits side of it. You'll you'll get it. But it's a, so basically a 529 plan, that's typically the you know, best route to save for education if you know you're going to save for those qualified expenses. And it is a tax preferential or tax beneficial way to save for that if you know you're going to use it for that. So um, what is the big, so let's talk about the benefits of, of using a 529 plan, and then we'll talk about the downsides in a second. So benefits... As I already mentioned, there's tax benefits. So, how does the tax work? The tax benefit. Uh, so, when you put money into a five twenty nine plan, it is gonna you know be after tax dollars. So, money you've already paid tax on. So, like for example, you could take money from your savings account or checking account, which has already been taxed, and put it into your five twenty nine plan. So, there's no and there's no tax benefit on the front end, at least federal tax benefit. And so there's, the tax benefits all come on the back end of the 529. So once you put it in though, that as it grows, hopefully it's growing, as it grows, there's no tax on the growth. And ultimately when you take it out for, as long as you're using it for qualified education, it's tax-free coming out. So basically the tax benefit of the 529 is you're, it gives you the ability to grow an asset or have interest on an asset without being taxed on the growth. Whereas normally if you just invest, as it grows, you'll eventually have to pay tax on that growth component. So that's the whole tax benefit is on uh, the growth of the asset and ultimately when you take it out, the tax-free aspect. So it allows you to avoid tax on that growth. Uh, that's, That's the number one benefit to a 529. And really when you you know, compare it to other things. That's that's really the only benefit, um, you know, but it is a big one. So what are the downsides? So the downsides, the big downside is kind of along the same lines is you, well, I guess there is a little downside in that you have to set up a separate account. Whereas if you just invested everything in one account, that would be simpler. So there's a little bit of a downside because you have to create a separate account. Um, and typically you create a separate account for each beneficiary or person that ultimately it's being saved for. Um, So that adds a little complexity. That's that's a downside. Also, uh, another downside is if you don't use it for education, there's some tax costs or penalty costs. So it basically like negates the benefit if you don't use it for education or qualified education expenses. And so that's that's definitely a big uh, downside. Essentially like Makes it you end up like if you're gonna not use it for education, you know you definitely don't want to do it because you would be better off just investing in a normal account. Um, so, really, and and those are the big downsides. There's you know a few other little things here and there. There's some uh, cost components potentially, but you can there's ways to avoid those. So at the end of the day, this 529 Avenue, it's really about taxes because if taxes were not in play, I mean, there'd be no point for a 5 to 529. But, uh, you know, if you're in a high tax bracket or you're going to be in a high tax bracket, uh, it's pretty impactful to avoid, uh, if possible taxes on interest, it's going to be, there's going to be a lot of benefits with that, especially the longer out we're looking. So if you're, for example, if your child is, um, you know, uh, senior in high school and you're like, oh, I got to save for college for freshman year of college, uh, there's not a lot of benefit in the 529 because it's like, how much can it grow in one year? Not much, you know, so that's just one year of interest and you have to be, you're typically not going to expect a lot of interest in one year uh, just because you can't take a lot of risk. And so, whereas if you have a newborn and you're like, "Uh, I need to save for my child's undergraduate cost which is 19 20, 21 years out that's a huge that's where the big benefits come and that's where it's most beneficial uh, so that's a lot of these benefits come from the taxes that's that's the main thing to to take in so state there's some state tax benefits as well that are sometimes uh, an, an option I'll link to a really good breakdown of, um, it's from savingforcollege.com, but there's a really good breakdown. They have a visual breakdown of like what, how the tax benefits break down by state. So it totally depends on the state, but it's all about state income tax benefits. So for example, I live in Kentucky. In Kentucky, it doesn't, there's no state income tax benefits. So it doesn't matter which, uh, it doesn't matter how much I fund. It's basically irrelevant for my state income taxes. So you know that's straightforward. Whereas the best state that out there really is Indiana. So Indiana has a very uh, it has like a nice credit um, tax credit for funding five twenty nines. So, but relative to other states, I would say Indiana is probably the one of the best, if not the best, state income tax uh, benefit. But uh, it varies by state. So California, for example, is like Kentucky. There's no deductions. In states that have no income tax, like Texas, Florida, Tennessee, you know, there's no benefit there, obviously, because there's no state income tax to have benefits on in the first place. So I would say, like, check out the website. You'll see um, most states with state income tax have some sort of benefit, but they vary quite a bit by state. So it's important to check out your state's specific benefits first. Also, some states require you, in order to get those benefits, they require that you use your state-specific 529 plan. So that's another thing with 529s. Each state will have its own, like, sponsored 529 program. Um, all that really is is they've, like, partnered with a, an investment company, and they, um, you know, they have, like, the state-sponsored plan through that investment company. In Kentucky, for example, I think it's TIA-CREF. We don't really ever recommend them or use them in our planning firm, mainly because there's no state tax benefit in Kentucky. So therefore, it doesn't matter if we use Kentucky or any other state. So it's kind of like in Kentucky, if you live in Kentucky, it's like, well, let's just pick the best out of all the states, uh, the best 529 out of all the states. So some of the really good 529s, like Utah's is one of our favorite 529 plans. Arizona has pretty good ones. All the Fidelity plans are pretty good. They have like five or six states that they do 529 plans uh, on. And the van- some of the plans that have Vanguard are pretty good as well. But that is sometimes negated if you have state income tax benefits. So that was Kentucky I was just talking about. On the other hand, I think Indiana requires, we were talking about Indiana a second ago. Indiana, I believe, requires you to use their state-specific plan in order to get those state income tax benefits. So if you're in Indiana, it's like, use the Indiana plan. Otherwise, you're not going to get that very uh, generous state income tax benefit. On the other hand, Arizona, for example, they don't require you to use the um, Arizona state-specific plan to get the, the tax benefit. So it's kind of like, you know, so you you end up in the same spot as you would be if you lived in Kentucky in Arizona because it's like, pick the best state because it doesn't affect the tax benefits, at least in Arizona. So Um, Side note on that, always check the rules and talk to your accountant, get tax advice on this. These change too, so um, keep an eye on it. Um, It's important to keep tabs on that. A common question that comes up is, well, if I use the Kentucky 529 or the Arizona 529 or whatever, does that mean my kid has to go to college there? So the answer is no. It doesn't matter uh, which state you use. They're all kind of like the same. It's really just about state tax benefits or state State-sponsored. The way they set it up originally is that states would sponsor it, so it just became like a state-run thing. But all the states are like you know flexible as to which college it ultimately is used for, so that's really a non-issue. But definitely check out this uh, as a you know has a good breakdown of what state-specific benefits are. So in Indiana, for example, which is the best state, it's like there's that added carrot. It's like even more beneficial to use a 529 in Indiana versus like Kentucky or Texas or Tennessee. It's kind of like, you know, less uh, beneficial than the average state to use the 529 plan. But either way, you get those federal tax benefits, which, as we just discussed, come on the back end, tax free growth over time. So going back to the downsides, I got off on a tangent there, but some of the downsides uh, I mentioned was that you have to use it for qualified education expenses. And if you don't, you get penalized and taxed on that. So really what it comes down to is like the question that always comes up is like, how much am I going to use for education? So like nobody knows, or I mean, it's hard to and usually impossible to get this exact as far as like what my future cost is going to be for education. Uh, But you can start to like estimate or make good education, educated guesses. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that. But the key to all this is like trying to kind of hone in on what your future education costs might be and starting to think about, you know, should I or can I or is it beneficial to start saving for that now? Another thing that's important to understand with 529 plans are that there's two different types of 529 plans. And this is like a subset of each state. So most states have two different types of 529 plans. They have advisor sponsored plans or direct, sponsor, uh, direct plans. And um, that's typically what they call it. So a direct plan is kind of like no advisor is getting paid. There's no compensation built into it for an advisor to get paid, basically. Um, so an advisor plan is like they build in compensation, a commission, basically, for, that allows the advisor to get paid. So I would always say, when in doubt, go with the direct plan. And that's what we recommend in our planning firm. Um, we don't accept commissions anyway. So it's like, you know, that's part of the reason we don't is so it's it's irrelevant to us financially. And it's always better for you to go with the direct plan. So that's always what we're going to uh, recommend. Now, I guess there is a case where you would want to use an advisor plan, but uh, direct plan will always be comparatively less cost for you. So that's, that's a key. And sometimes it's big time, less cost. The advisor plans, there's typically some different varying compensation or, you know, varying expense structures. So that gets a little complicated. But really, for the sake of today, main thing to know is direct plans are much you know, typically lower costs. Um, and then even the states, between the states, like, say, Kentucky's direct 529 plan versus, like, Utah's five, direct 529 plan. Utah's direct 529 plan is quite a bit less expensive than Kentucky's direct 529 plan. So that's, you know, even between the states, there's quite a bit of uh, cost cost. Uh, variance, and the costs become pretty important, especially over long periods of time. Um, so that's definitely something to pay attention to. Now, if you're working with us, like if you're a planning client, we, you know, kind of look at all this for you. You don't really need to worry about uh, analyzing different states, 529 plans. We're going to kind of keep tabs on those sorts of things and, um, you know, try to minimize costs and uh, maximize tax benefits. But if you're doing it yourself, you definitely need to keep an eye on that. That's important. And it could be su- can be substantial. So 529 plan, qualified expenses, that's always a a, a good question. Uh, Before I jump into that, one other side note I wanted to mention is that there's also some states offer prepaid tuition plans. So that's like a little bit different flavor of saving for college and different states have, it varies by different states as to how it works and how much features it offers and how guaranteed it is. But basically... It's like a kind of a guaranteed way, state guaranteed way, typically, to fund college. They they give you like a set monthly amount or lump sum amount that you give them, and then they o- offer to guarantee to fund the state tuition costs or sometimes tuition room and board. So I know, like, for example, Florida has several options for prepaid tuition plans. This can work well um, if you want like a really super safe, like no risk option or low risk, I guess, option. The investment the responsibility uh, or the risk of the investments, you're kind of like offsetting that to the state. Um, And so you're going to not be realizing the volatility. It's going to be, you know, set benefit that happens independent of how, you know, stocks and bonds do. So that's the benefit is it's kind of like more of a set structure and it's a set price and you can kind of just set it up and fund it and it's covered and you're good. Uh, the big downside is you are, you know, especially if you have time, um, you don't, you aren't able to like customize it. So you might, um, you know, benefit from or, or want to t- dial the risk up or take the risk yourself, and you're comfortable doing that, or you have someone like us helping you. Um, in that case, you know, you're typically going to have higher expected returns when you invest yourself and you're able to like dial up the stock percentage, for example. And so when you compare that, uh, you know that can typically be a better, uh, return or bang for your buck. Um, also a lot of it has to do with inflation because, um, the state plans lock in or kind of like, a, I guess they're kind of a form of inflation protection. They're essentially giving you a set price and saying it will cover costs of college. And that is even if they inflate quite a bit. So I imagine those plans were a really good deal from like, like the last maybe ending in like the mid two thousands, like two thousand ten or something. Say you funded it from nineteen ninety to two thousand, or or, or nineteen ninety five to two thousand and ten, or something like that. I, I imagine that would have been a really good deal, you know, for really anyone. Mainly because inflation of college costs, education costs was going up, and so when that's occurring you know that's an added benefit to using one of these state sponsored plans on the flip side if inflation's going down for education specifically then it can be kind of like an additional downside so i don't expect you you should not be projecting inflation i mean who knows what inflation's going to do i think the main thing should be more like do you want to take on the investment risk yourself or do you like the idea of like the you know, more guaranteed, uh, safer route of just saying, what's my cost going to be today or, you know, monthly, and then let's just check it off the checklist and be done with it. So I would lean more on that as a benefit or as a reason for doing this. And typically, a lot of times the state plans, state sponsored plans will allow you to go to different uh, different states too. So that, but check on your specific plan if you, if you have in, any interest in those. So that's kind of a different avenue only for, it's typically only for college or undergrad so another thing that I, I, I hadn't mentioned yet as far as you know how those 529s work, and I've kind of hit on this or implied this is how it works, but I want to make sure and clarify this too. With the 529 plans, the way it's going to work is you put the money in there and then you have to select where it's invested. So it's, it's really just a lot like a 401k if you've ever had one of those. They give you like a menu of like 20 or 30 or 10 or, you know, a, a menu of investment choices. And then it's your responsibility to select those. Or if you're working with us, we're going to help you select those. But you get the menu and you get to pick between them. And it's going to be like, you know, XYZ stock fund or, you know, this bond fund or, you know, this Automatically allocated age-based fund, or those are examples of the types of things you see. Sometimes they have like autopilot funds that are kind of nice. So anyway, you have, have get to choose between the menu, um, as opposed to like I was talking about the uh, prepaid or pre-prepaid uh, college plans. They're gonna have no menu. It's just like here's the do- cost and it's covered. So that's that's a big difference. So the Big question with this is Are you going to use it for education? That's really what it comes down to. So, some, you know, sometimes people will say, Okay, well, my parents didn't help me with my education. So, like, I learned a lot from that. So, I don't think I want to help my children with education because I feel like that will inhibit them or you know I want them to uh most people gravitate towards wanting for their kids what they experienced and they kind of le- I guess you have biased towards uh thinking that whatever you had was the best um that's how everybody is but uh so that's a lot of people are or some people not a lot I mean I would say like half of people are like you know in that camp it's like my parents didn't pay for it so I'm not going to pay for it and that's fine I mean that's your th- thing. It's kind of, that's more completely more of a personal preference. But the one thing I would say for you guys, most of this audience is going to have, you know, higher than average income. A lot of you will have, you know, very high income. So the important thing to know about that situation is it's a different college. The way college funding works, um, is it, it's really a means-based system. Um, I talked about it in the show, um, Where we talked about college funding several episodes back. So you can check that out for details. But basically, education, every university or college uh, is going to have some sort of like means testing or income based factor in it. And so if you Google like the price of, say, Vanderbilt, you're going to see like the sticker price. It's like that's what it's like buying cars. You see the sticker price, but what happens uh, is when you actually go to apply or get through, go through the process, they're going to give you an actual price you would pay. And a lot of it is based on your financial situation. Now, there is some potential component based on your academic uh, level, but a good portion of it is based on your financial position. So if you're in a really good financial position, you're not going to get any means or financial benefits. There's You're basically going to, be much more likely to pay the full sticker price. And why that's important is because it becomes, basically, it becomes difficult for your child to even pay for it in the first place. Now, you can still do like what you were saying, what I was saying with, you know, your parents took care of, didn't take care of your education, so you're going to let your child take care of it themselves. You can still do that, but the problem is education costs have gotten higher so it really limits the schools you can look at and you have to be aware of that you know it has to be literally a school that they can afford through earning income they can get some student loans in undergrad but that that caps out pretty quick so most of the time you're they're not the student i'm talking about can't get enough loans to fund it because the school assumes the parents going to take care of the rest so basically what it comes down to if you're high income most likely you know, the school is going to assume you're going to be able to pay for the sticker price, full sticker price. And they're going to assume also that you're going to find a way to pay for it, either through getting your own loans as a parent or, you know, ponying up the cash. Um, and they're not going to assume the child is going to pay for much of it. So it becomes like a sticky spot, even if you wanted to go that route. So I've talked to people that are like there and their kids are going to college and they're like, I really wanted them to pay for it, but like they don't have a way of paying for it, literally. It's like, they can't get student loans they don't have time and they don't have the ability to earn enough to cover it so that's something to be aware of when you're talk, talking about whether or not to fund education so it's important to think about that uh, you know the your ideal future what it looks like and ideally you think you know furthest out first and then kind of work backwards so what is what are qualified expenses it all comes down to that it's like if you if we could predict the future and we knew exactly what you were going to Uh, need for education. That would be straightforward. We could just say, put exactly what you need in 529 plans or college funds for, and so that we're 100% funded for exactly what you know you're going to eventually spend, and then you're done. That's easy, but that's not how it works. So first of all, you don't know what you're going to ultimately spend. You might have an idea, but you don't know for sure. Second of all, we don't know how education costs are going to change. Only exception is if you use a prepaid plan, like I talked about. That kind of like cuts that out of the equation. But if you, um, so you have to look at it each year and kind of make educated guesses. For example, college costs actually have been going, they haven't been going down, but the inflation rate has been decreasing lately, which is like one of the only things that's had a decreasing inflation rate lately. But it's kind of funny. It's like backwards. College education inflation rates have been, you know, slowly going down lately, um, which is an interesting trend. Uh, it hadn't happened like that in a while, but that's, that's the trend right now. So that's a factor. And, and like I said, what, what you ultimately decide to fund or what school they choose or how many years or all that stuff for grad school, that's all factor you know, a factor in this. So if you knew you, whatever, you know, you're going to spend great. That's where college plans work. Whatever you don't spend, it's not great. It's better to use something else. So what are you going to, so what are, how do you, What do you do with that? So a lot of people say, okay, well, I don't know what we're going to spend. So like, I'm just not going to use this 529 plan because I'm not sure. I'd rather use something that's more flexible. What what I would say is it doesn't have to be like the extreme, one extreme or the other. You can meet somewhere in the middle. So for example, uh, let's say you have five kids and you plan to fund all of their undergraduate costs, tuition, room, and board. And you're like probably going to be like an average state school cost, and then no no private school. You're going public school up to that point. So that scenario, it's like if you're planning to fund five kids' undergraduate costs, it it's pretty. I would say it's fairly likely that it's at least you're at least going to be writing some checks. <laughs> like even if you have brilliant kids, like uh, or af- awesome athletes or whatever you know, maybe one or two of them get scholarships or full rides or whatever. But like odds are like at least a few of them are going to need some help. So maybe in that scenario, you kind of think on the higher end of the percentage. So maybe it's like you fund 75% of expected cost if you want to play it safe. 75% of expected future costs for that under, undergraduate cost. But but maybe you don't want to do 100% yet because you're just not sure and you don't want to overfund it. On the other hand, let's say you have one child and you're like, I don't even know if they're going to go to school for for undergrad. And if they do, like, who knows? And um, I don't even know if I want to help them with education or not. Or So then that's a completely different situation. And they're not going to go to private school before then. It's like, well, there could, I could totally see a scenario where you literally write no, no checks for education. And so in that situation, you might not want to use the 529 or if you do maybe you do like so like maybe 10 percent of the most likely scenario so if you if they do go to college maybe you would fund four years of tuition room and board so let's figure out what you would need to save to be on track for like 10 or 25 percent or something like modest so that you're not like putting too much towards it and then over time as you know more get more certainty you can kind of dial that percentage up potentially or dial, dial it down too. So those are kind of some strategies to think about. Another uh, common question that comes up is, you know, what if you are also going to be funding private school before college? Nowadays, that's a big—that's the big tax change that's happened lately. Is they have now allowed you to use up to ten thousand per year per child of your five hundred and twenty-nine funds for you know pre-college education expenses. So if you're paying tuition uh, now, you can use up to ten thousand per year from a five hundred and twenty-nine to pay for that. So then the question is, well, should I be using my 529 for my private school costs? And it always depends. I mean, that's what you know we typically say, but you know, we'll talk through that a little bit. So ideally, I mean, ideally, yes is the answer. But I would think of it from the standpoint of, remember, I was talking about the tax benefits. So the best tax benefits come when you let it sit there and grow as much as possible for as long as possible. So the best tax benefits come from that last dollar you spend on education. So if you're thinking about your child, it's like, okay, let's say they're in private school now. You know they're they got ten more years of private school or something, and and then they do undergraduate for four years. So you know you got 14 years left of writing checks. Ideally, with the 529, at least you're you're starting, you're using it or you're earmarking it for that last. Dollar you spend at the fourth year of undergraduate costs, because that's where the biggest tax bang for your buck get. Uh, that's where you get the max tax benefits by just letting it sit there and then taking it out on the back end. You can also take more risk with it if it's a long term investment. You're you should be you know you typically are more comfortable or you you, you know you should be able to take more risk uh, given that it's a long time horizon. You can kind of weigh or, or uh, ride the ups and downs. And so there's a, there's much more benefits to, you know, backloading it, basically. So start there, work backwards. So get that last dollar funded and then start to work backwards. So maybe you have 100% of undergraduate already funded. So like, let's say your 529 is on track to fund 100% of under, undergraduate costs. So then it's like, okay, if you're doing private school, maybe you think about funding senior year. and then maybe junior year and then work backwards. So ideally, you know, if if you're a good saver, you have plenty of assets, you know, ideally you get in a position where the 529 is, you know, covering all the years. Um, And you're basically at that point where you're taking it out to fund the current year. But as long as you're like 100% funded, you know, starting with the later years first and working backwards, I mean, that's the biggest, that's the biggest thing is, you know, and then that'll allow you to max out, maximize those tax benefits. So that, that's a, if you do, if you do are planning to do the private school thing or are actively doing private school, definitely want to think about that strategy before you start just taking money out of the 529. So the, you know, if, if you're on board with the whole concept with the 529 and you're like, you know, this kind of thing makes sense, you know, typically then it's like, okay, how do I really run the numbers for my situation? Uh, So if, if you work with us, we're going to, that's one of the things we'll do is we'll tell you kind of recommended amounts or we'll help kind of run the scenarios and give you the choices in terms of what we know you can fund. So in an ideal world, if you have plenty of money, you just lump sum fund it all right now and you know exactly what it's going to be, but nobody's there. I mean, that's rare. So most people are like, okay, can I, I, I want to do it monthly. So how much should I be saving monthly to be on track? So what you, like I said, if you're working with us, we'll tell you the monthly number basically to get you, and we'll show you what it translates to percentage-wise funding, whatever goal your your goal is. If you're doing it yourself, there's plenty of calculators online. You can run the calculators. Run the calculator for, you know, whatever most likely school for undergraduate and run the calculator for what you would need to save monthly to be on track based, and then incorporate what you already have. And then if you're doing private school before then, inc- you know, add that into the mix. Um, and then b- all, all you're doing is backing into what that monthly number needs to be uh, based on, you know, reasonable investment assumptions that will allow you to be having the necessary funds so that you're able to withdraw each year you need the money. So there's, like I said, there's lots of calculators online that can help, um, you know, run those numbers. But uh, the thing we already talked about is that in reality, the tricky part is um, or the additional part is like, well, what is the goal that I'm actually saving for? That's hard to pinpoint. So you can use some of those strategy I, strategies I talked about is like, you don't have to fund 100%. You can kind of start at 50%. Uh, but the key, you know, the, I'd say the if we're, if we're gonna um, boil it down to you know, what's most important here, I think the biggest thing is starting with like your goals and priorities first and values. And so what's most important? I've seen both ends of the spectrum. I've seen it where people are, probably getting too aggressive with education savings and they haven't really thought through the big picture and it's like well you're saving you're saving great for college but like you're not going to ever retire and maybe it's now if that's if you don't plan to retire then that's all good but like most people have some other things that they value equal or higher than saving for college so it's important to you know look at what are the other things and kind of weigh this in and say okay Maybe you have student loans and they like keep you up at night and they like, you know, you're like, I want to get rid of those as fast as possible. Um, in that situation, it's like, well, just hang, wait on the college funding. That's all good. Knock out the thing that's like going to give you the most non, See, these are like the non-financial benefits, but it, you know, you sleep better at night, that's priceless. Focus on that first and that's all good. But it's important to, you know, weigh those priorities and look at the values and try to, you know, work this into the mix. And based on what that, where it falls and what your resources are, that's where you start to apply action steps for your situation. And you can kind of start to, and that, and that'll help you to feel on track if you're doing it that way, because you're, you're not going to wonder like, you know, am I saving enough for retirement? Am I saving enough for college? What about this vacation home that I want to do? Or what about the student loans? Or you'll, you'll know that it's, it's on, on track with your priorities. So when in doubt, though, um, you know if you're most likely going to be writing checks for college for the future, you know you can always start small, um, especially if you're, you know, not ready to fully fund this. A lot of times, you know, we see people just take like a small step. So you can always set up like a five two nine for your children or whoever you want to save for. That's the other thing I f- forgot to mention you can use these 529 plans for non it doesn't have to be your children so you can save for other individuals through 529 but when in doubt you can just start small so a lot of states have really low minimums so you know you could start putting 25 or 50 bucks a month maybe into it to take like a small step and then each year if it is still a higher priority you just dial it up over time especially if you're in training that's like a small step in, if you're in training, it's going to be difficult to fully fund it in most cases. So, you know, you could at least if you want to get on, get started, you could at least do like a tiny, you know, or a small step, maybe like 25 bucks a month, something that's like not going to really affect you too much. And then that way you can still focus on some of the other things that are higher priorities. But when in doubt, I would say start small and kind of dial up over time. So. That is, uh, that's kind of the rundown there. Um, I'm gonna, I'll link to some, um, to that, uh, resource that I think it's helpful breaking down the different States tax benefits. And, uh, also I'll link to our college, uh, funding discussion, uh, episode, but definitely reach out if you have like more specific questions around how this works and either can get back to you or cover it in a future episode and we'll go from there. All right. Well, I hope This has been helpful and um, hope you have a great day. We'll look forward to talking again uh, next time. As always, thank you so much for joining us today. If you found this valuable, please give us a review on iTunes and share with a friend. Also, check out our website at financeforphysicians.co for all sorts of additional content. See you next time. Finance for Physicians is not an investment, tax, legal, or financial advisor.